When I grow up, we, we started this in January, talking about growing up spiritually and some different aspects of growing up, different dimensions to that. And I'm going to pick that up again this morning. And I found this slide. The first 40 years of childhood are always the hardest. And uh, some of us grow up faster than others. And, and I'm glad that God still allows playfulness and allows us still to have, have fun even in every season of life. There are certain areas where we're called to grow up and mature, and we've been looking at those in Scripture. Uh, we've been looking in, last week, just the, the whole principle of practicing, finding things that we practice, and we do that intentionally. We do that uh, with, with the, uh, the heart, that there's things that God's maturing in us. So we looked at the principle of practice last week. Uh, I like this quote. Uh, he's Steve Sutherland's a Christian politician from Florida. He says this. He said, I believe in process. I believe in four seasons. I believe that winter's tough, but spring's coming. Anybody glad for that? I believe there's a growing season. And I think when you realize that and you yield to it, you'll, you'll keep growing. You'll get better. I, I like that because it just presents the idea to us that there is seasons in everybody's life. And right now, if we took a survey, we, we'd find out some people are, man, right now you're in a sweet spot. You, you, you're discovering place of fruitfulness, you're, you're discovering a, a, a place of where you're connecting, you know what you're called to do, you're doing it, you're seeing impact, you're seeing effect. Other people are in transition, maybe the leaves have fallen off the tree, and, and you're just wondering, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing right now? And God, what are you doing in my life? And even at every season, because God had seasons in his, in his word. He had feasts in his word. He broke up the calendar year in his word. There's, there's seasons for growth. There's seasons for harvest. There's seasons sometimes just for rest, just for chilling. There's seasons when a plant is putting nutrients back in its stock and new growth's coming. And it's the same thing. Some of us are in a spot where God just feeding us and retooling us and re-encouraging us. And reinventing some of us for another season of life, he's, he's allowing us to step into a new gift. And so I'm, I don't know about you, I'm glad for God's seasons. Anybody in here with me on that? And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And today I want to talk about growing in freedom. Growing in freedom. How many believe God wants us free? Christ came to set us free. And so the last couple weeks... Last weekend, Dr. Carolyn Leaf was here, and she was talking about our brain and rewiring our brain, and I, I happened to catch her speaking three times, and then the last two days, we've been in Sozo ministry, which is kind of an inner healing ministry, encouraging people on how to get rid of the old and get in the new, and so I'm kind of filled with those principles, and uh, in a good way. So I'm, I'm going to dissect it and put it back together, I guess, in maybe something that hopefully will encourage us and challenge us about the idea of growing in freedom. And I, I just seen it in my own life. You know, when I, when I got saved, lots of voices telling me who I should be and following after different patterns and other people's lifestyles. And then even when I became a pastor... Remember the first couple of years of being lead pastor, maybe the first year and a half, I had guest speakers in like every other week because I had no confidence and I, and I was trying to figure out, well, I should be more like them. I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could have that kind of message in me like they have. And, and it took a while for me just to be comfortable in my own skin and say, God's, God's doing something in me and I can hear him and I can be led by him. And then starting to receive that you want some of the stuff old stuff out of my life, God, because you're doing new things in my life, and you're, you're taking me a new direction, and you're growing me in a new way, and when I got comfortable in that, that there's a process in God, that his Holy Spirit takes out the old and old attitudes, and he replenishes, and he renews, and I got hold of that, and I've been trying to walk in that, and some seasons are better than others, but when I do it, I just find there's, there's a peace that comes with that, and a confidence that comes with that, and excitement that comes with that, when, when I allow God to grow me up, and I'm not bound by fear, I'm not bound by appetites or pushed this way or that way, but when I, when I could walk in God's freedom and, and maintain the mindset that in worship, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord, not caring what you think, when I'm free and just one-on-one -on -one in the Lord and feel his joy and his presence and his peace, I think that's the abundant life Jesus was talking about. I don't know about you, that's what I'm after. Anybody in here with me on that? Say, God, I want that in my life, your, your abundant life and your peace and your strength. And so 
That's kind of tied into the idea of growing in freedom and how we get rid of the old. How many know what Jesus' first miracle was? In John's gospel, it was water to wine. And chronologically, it was water to wine. But I think in Mark's gospel, it, it describes better what, what Jesus was about, what his mission was. And it's kind of where the launching point I want to take us this morning. So this is John cha- or Mark chapter 1. It says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them, read the yellow with me, as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The scribes were those that would just write down the law, and they were making duplicate copies. And the scribes were very familiar with the scripture, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. They were very familiar because they were the ones that kept making copies. And so after you become the Xerox copier a hundred times, you know the word pretty good. But Jesus was teaching as not one that just had it up here. But he was teaching as one who was the word, the living word. He was teaching with authority. And now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Can you imagine that? A guy showed up in church that had trouble in his spirit. There was a guy in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And that unclean, that word could, could mean it's been tainted by different things. Unclean could mean you're tainted by bitterness. Unclean could be you've been tainted by sexual sin. There, there's something that just isn't up here. It's a, it's a grip at a deeper level where somehow the door got open and there's a demonic component affecting his personhood. It says, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I, I've been in a couple different places where demonic activity gets roused up because of authority in your life or other people's lives. I'm not trying to get spooky with you this morning, but we got to recognize there's a demonic realm. Amen? There, there's an enemy. There's, you know, you and me, we get up this morning, eat our breakfast, do our routine. We're in the natural. We're reasoning. We're thinking. And then we come to church and all of a sudden we're exposed to this spiritual realm. And whether we're exposed to it or not, it's real. It's real. Impacts people's lives. And here a guy showed up in the synagogue with his unclean spirit and the authority and the presence of God in the place triggered him to the point he's saying, what are we going to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? I was in San Francisco when I first worked up there and this is 1980. I don't even think Jan and I were married yet, but I was grown in the Lord and starting to understand spiritual things. And, and there's a guy that used to walk around downtown San Francisco just kind of demonized and you could hear him coming. He just go. Slamming himself in the head. I mean, you could hear him for half a block away. And we, we showed up at the same intersection one morning, and I turned to him and I said, you know, you can be free from that. And in a regular voice, he stopped, and he said, no, I can't. And I said, yes, you can. You can be free from that. He said, no, I can't. And he said, you're one of the sons of light. I'm going to kill you. And, and his voice changed, and he identified the authority of my life. Well, I did the spiritual thing. I ran and took, took off running, said, what in the world? This is all new for me. I'm a young believer here. I don't know what to do with this. Anyway, I've grown a little since then, and we've encountered those things and prayed for people to get free of those things numerous times now. But they recognize the authority in your life. They, they know who we are. When we were in India, the, this guy showed up uh, on a bicycle. He'd been riding his bike for, they said, 50 kilometers. No, 100 kilometers, almost 50 miles to get freedom and we were in worship, and God, the presence of God was just moving, and people were getting prayer, and all of a sudden, the back door flies open, and I hear a guy just scream, Rah! and he tackled the pastor in the church. And then I jumped in, and we're both on the ground praying in Jesus' name for freedom, but there was something that he, he recognized the authority in the place and made some kind of declaration in Hindi or whatever language, and in a few minutes, he'd been prayed for and ministered to, and just he laid there calm and peaceful. That time I didn't run. I jumped in the mix. But, but anyway, they recognized authority that's on our life. And this guy did. And he said, who are you, the Holy One of God? And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. They were all amazed and they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What no doctrine is this? With authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So John's gospel starts with Jesus turning water to wine, and Mark's gospel starts with a power encounter. 
Mark's gospel starts with this idea of framing things that here is the gospel, and the gospel manifests in power. And the gospel comes to set people free. The gospel comes to free them from torment and free them from legalism and free them from the stuff that has bound them and kept them there, maybe from his own actions. He opened the door somewhere, someplace. Maybe he'd been hanging around with the temple prostitutes and this thing got on him and got in him and it became a place of torment and a place of bondage and the presence of God shows up and Jesus shows up and set him free. Guess what? The same Jesus is in this place this morning. The same Jesus is here to set people free who maybe have wandered into church this morning and you feel or sense some kind of unclean thing, some tormenting thing. You came to the right place today. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? This, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I've watched that through years in the church. There's some people that have been involved in deliverance ministry, and they get this revelation of authority, and that now they're looking every place to encounter or to pray for or, or to see people set free from devils. But on the other hand, which is probably more dangerous, is the idea that in our culture that's, that's so westernized that we trivialize, trivialize and minimum, minimize the impact of the spiritual world around us. And so in traveling to several different countries, most other countries are, are well aware of the spiritual component that's operating in their community. Moni Mok in Cambodia, there, there's spiritual warfare in certain places. It's so evident you can feel it. We felt the same thing when we were in India, around Calcutta, around the temple to Cali. Around this temple, there's a place where they bring the goats in and they cut the throats of the goats and sacrifice to the demon gods. And there's this little canal of blood that runs around the temple. When we were walking through the temple, literally, you could feel the oppression and sense the oppression. It's a real thing, and you know, C.S. Lewis says there's two things. We ignore it, we pretend it doesn't exist, or we get fascinated with it and put our focus there. Somewhere there's a balance just to understand it and know who we are, the authority we have, so we don't have to be messed with by uh, demonic powers or demonic principalities. Amen? You with me? So scripture says this. Read it with me. It's Ephesians 6. We all know it. Come on, read this. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And many of those things, those demonic powers, principalities, they're, they're really aimed at our freedom in Christ. They, they, they try and seduce and capture and subdue us and put us in fear, get us into things that would hinder our, our freedom in Christ and our growth in Christ. And when I talk about growing in freedom, part of it is growing in understanding that there's really our trap set. There's snares that are against us. But the good news, the greater one's in us. And we don't have to fall prey to those things or stay snared or stay, stay captured by those things that we can be free and grow up in our freedom and our maturity. Amen? Foundational truths, say it with me, God is big and all-powerful. Come on, God is big and all-powerful, and Satan is limited and defeated at Calvary. You, you got to get it. God is big and all-powerful, and Satan is limited, and he's been defeated at Calvary. He has. And the greater one lives in you. Tell your neighbor that. The greater one lives in you. And so part of the strategy or the wiles or the schemes of intimidation is to make himself roar louder than he is, to make himself seem more powerful, more controlling. He has, he has a bigger, bigger grip on your life than God does, that his will is going to win out over God's will. He, this impression, this part, that he's an enemy of God, he's a fallen angel. Scripture describes he fell because of pride, he exalted himself, he was cast to the earth, a third of the angels went with him in rebellion. And, and he's been cast to the earth, and then man was given authority over him. And in the garden, Adam had authority over him and gave it back through the fall. And now through Jesus, that authority's been restored. The, the authority over his power, his ruling, has been restored to the people of God, and that's you and me. Amen? And we're called to exercise that authority and not give place to him and not give in to him. 
and not let our freedom be stolen and, and us put in bondage to fear and, and a bondage to worry and those things that try and grip us. Jesus wants us free. And I want to walk in everything that he accomplished at Calvary. How about you? I want to walk in the freedom. Now, this is what Colossians 2 says in the Message Bible. I like it. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God, and God brought, brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. I love this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Now that's a victory right there. Jesus said, he paid the price for your debt and my debt and, and reversed it. He stole their authority and he, he brought it back. Not stole it, he took it back rightfully. They stole it, the, the demonic powers had stolen it illegally. Now it's back in Christ and he's given it to the church and he made a display of them openly. Victory over them, amen? And victory for you and me. Romans 16, I like this little picture. It says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And so when I'm overwhelmed and, and, and things happen, stuff happens on a fallen planet. Bad things happen to good people. Challenges come my way. I got to remember that somewhere down here, this is where he belongs. That Jesus said, John 16, or Romans 16, Paul said that he, the God of peace would crush Satan under our feet, and that's where he belongs, defeated, amen? Defeated because of Calvary. 2 Corinthians 10 in the message says this, I love this too. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they're for demolishing that entirely massive corrupt culture. We're using our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies for tearing down berries erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. You know, you, usually it's often some of the beliefs we start getting hold of that put us in bondage, and some of them are lies. Lots of them are lies that we just took hold of, lies about God. Lies that he doesn't love us, that he loves somebody more than he loves you. We went through this thing the last couple days of Sozo training and people were sharing some of the lies that they got hold of and they began to believe about themselves. They're not wanted, that they're, they're, they'll never measure up, they, they can't do anything right. Often those lies that just get imparted to us, we, we start believing them and we start taking hold of them and it's, and it's putting us in bondage. It's not keeping us free. We've committed sins. I don't know how many times as pastor, I've had people come to me and say they felt like they've committed the impardonable sin. They can't be forgiven. It's a lie. If you had committed the impardonable sin and you couldn't be restored, you would not even be asking me for prayer. Because if you were turned over, it wouldn't even be in your mind or in your thought. There'd be no conviction towards coming back to Christ if you'd really been cast away. But just the idea that there's a conviction, just the idea that you want to do right and come back to God, that tells me the Holy Spirit's still working in your life. God's still got his hand on your life. And so we believe lies sometimes, and we take hold of those things that were spoken against us that are contrary to God. And so 2 Corinthians 10 says, you know, we're, we're casting down vain imaginations, is what it says in in the King James, New King James Version. We, we're taking thoughts captive, things that aren't true. We, we take them captive and hold it up to the word of God and the truth and the nature of who Jesus is. And we say, does this line up, Jesus? Jesus, do you really feel this way about me? Are you angry at me all the time? Do you, do you really, Jesus, when you look at me, think that I, I, I'm never gonna measure up and I'm never gonna make it? Of course not. God's for us. That's what his word says. Sir, he disciplines us. He disciplines us as children, though. He doesn't discipline us as enemies. He disciplines us and prunes us and corrects us as children because he's got a plan for us, and he wants us to live in freedom. Amen? Now, this says here that we're smashing warped philosophies. And, you know, as I've traveled in different countries, I've even been challenged, like, why, why do you bring the gospel to this culture? They have their own belief systems. Why, why do you bring the gospel here? Well, there's certain belief systems in other cultures that keep people in bondage. In our work with Billy Graham Palouse in India, the Dalits, the low caste, the lowest caste, they have no hope. They believe they've been reincarnated and stuck in a place where they're subservient, and their job is to, to scrape the animal dung off the streets, 
They don't keep their head up. Their head's always down. They have this, this mindset because it's been spoken over them. It's a belief system that they're the lowest of the low. In Billy Graham's ministry, he comes and takes them, rescues them off the street, cleans them up, gives them haircuts, brings them in church when they're not worshiping, when they won't look up, he assigns somebody to lift up their heads in worship and then begins to tell them that they're valuable. He built a school for them. He's, he's, he's educating 1,500 of the, the, the lowest class kids, giving them a hope and education because that's what the gospel does. You want to see, a, a, this is an extreme warped philosophy. This is, a, this is a Thai man. This is what it said. It was in the, in the news. A Thai man has married his pet snake, believing it to be his dead girlfriend. He said the snake bore a striking resemblance to his former lover. There's something wrong right there. The man who could not be identified believes that his dead girlfriend reincarnated into a cobra. He spotted the snake in Southeast Asia, and now he spends most of his time with the 10-foot-long snake, watching TV together, sharing picnics by the lake, and playing board games and going to the gym. Now, this, wasn't, this was on several websites, so it wasn't just like that well, maybe it was in another country, the Enquirer kind of news. I don't know. But it was quoted in several websites. It made it on the national news. That's why I even paid attention to it. But somehow to believe that your snake is your reincarnated girlfriend should have ran away a long time ago. I mean, something's just not going to end right right there. And, and, and that's an extreme belief. That's an extreme goofy philosophy. But some things that get stuck in our mind, some things that get stuck in our heart about God, about believing about our call or lack of a call or what we've done, the shame that comes on us, it, it, it can be almost as goofy where it puts us in bondage and it holds us back from experiencing and knowing the love of God and be able to receive that love and give that love away. Jesus wants you to be free from that, amen? So let's talk about those, those thoughts that come and how things come, and I mentioned this last week, just as a simple filter for me. And it's in conversations, and sometimes it's in ideas that people present, or, or it's just maybe in entertainment or appetite things. I, I'm, I'm growing in this idea of just having this filter when things come to say, is this a friend or is this a foe? Is this thing going to help me go and grow to where God wants me to be? Or is this thing going to be a distraction or worse, poison to what God wants to do in my life? And so when scripture talks about discernment, judgment, that when we grow, we grow in discernment, it, it's ability to look at things and say, friend or foe, is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? I, I did something that I've never done, first time in 30 years, coming to church this morning. I stopped and I bought a beer. I bought a, an 805 Firestone. Super Bowl parties coming up today. People, temptation, whatever. When, when I look at this and I say to myself, friend or foe? Now to some right away, some right away, it's a foe. It's an enemy. You've seen it jack up your life, your family. Alcohol's really, it's messed up my family, my extended family in a big way. My aunt and my uncle had four boys on my mom's side. And uh, that was my mom's sister's husband and my mom's sister. Well, my mom grew up in Minnesota, and my grandfather, he had a, a pub there. He, he owned a, um, a bar on the edge of the lake, and so they grew up around alcohol. And then my sister, my mom's sister, my aunt, married a guy, their four boys. Alcohol was a part of everything they did in the family. They, their, their house was the party house. But two of the four boys died as a result of alcohol. My, my cousin Jeff died of second all overdose and alcohol, drowned in his own vomit as a young man, left his wife... My other cousin, his brother, uh, was drunk and he wrapped his car, his Volkswagen, around a tree and died, left two small kids and a beautiful wife. My aunt and uncle, their parents, they both died of alcohol-related things. My uncle died of cirrhosis of the liver. His, his brother, no, it was my aunt's brother, actually, my uncle Bill, on the same side of the family, he died, he went from riches to rags, died in a motel room, uh, just broke. Two young kids in the motel room. I still remember going with my father to meet with him once, and he had no money, and he was asking my dad for help. He just had hawked his wedding ring. And, and a few years before that, they're the ones that had the big house and the boat and the toys. And because of alcohol, it, it devastated them. So in, in our life, our family, alcohol's been no friend to my family. 
And so when I look at this, now I, I know I could have a beer. I, my association that I'm licensed through, I sign something every year that I don't drink. So that's the, the conviction of our association. But there's, there's people in here that you know it's your enemy. And no matter who would be up here, if an angel with flapping wings would say, go ahead, have a beer, you know you'd have to run. No, it would, it would, it would open a door that you wouldn't want open. Some of you know that. But others, some of you don't, don't have that history. Some of you don't have the, the alcohol in your family and the problems with it. So for you, you would still say friend or foe. Some have a drink, have a beer, a glass of wine, takes the edge off. Whatever reason people drink, but I'm telling you, that, that I was going to look for a beer that said Cobra on it. Because what happens, you know, if you're not careful, certain things you allow in, certain things you let in, if they're not put in check, they can become a foe real quickly. They could become an enemy real quickly. You know what I'm talking about this morning. So young people, college, you know, I know it's, there's a culture on campus. There's a party culture on campus and that. And I have some pastor friends that even have a beer, a glass of wine. But one good friend of mine, he said this way. He said, one and done. That was his motto, one and done. That's where I put my limits. Because by nature, by nature, Alcohol brings down the barriers in your life. It brings down your defense mechanisms. By nature, it does that. And so that's why I used to drink, so I could dance. Because unless I drank, I couldn't dance. And so I would go out, and you know, they called it liquid courage. And so it would make you loosen up and meet people and all that. And so I know it became kind of a, a tool or, or, or a crutch in my life. Now, this is what Paul said. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but read the yellow with me. I'll not be mastered by anything. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And all things are lawful, but not all things will what? Will edify. So I guess his pastor and wanting to lead people in a life of not legalism, but a life where you start being led by the Spirit of God and you grow in discernment and you grow in personal things where you say, is this going to build me up? Is this going to encourage me? Is this going to help me? Or when I do this and go this way, man, I find myself in trouble. For me, what led to this is a few times waking up in the morning and running to the window to make sure my car was out front. Going out there to say, where? Oh, no, no, what happened? I said, oh, my God, running. Oh, there, I'm good. My car's here. I made it. Still got my wallet? Yeah, I got my wallet. And, and, and a few times going to a place where just, it was costly. It wasn't edifying. This was before I'm saved, right? Remember that. It was before Christ. New creation, some things changed. I'm grateful for that. And, and even for a while, I had no alcohol in my life. I just felt like the Lord told me to give it up. And then as I was growing, there would be times when Jan and I for receptions or whatever, champagne here and there. And then when I became in ministry and we began to sign something, I just figured that that doesn't really have a place for me now in my life. And I know just because of what it's done in my family, I have to look at it and say, you know, it's been a foe to my family. And, uh, and I, I just approach it cautiously. So as thinking people, as people that are growing in Christ, as people that are maturing in Christ, I just encourage you, ask yourself, friend or foe, right? Ask yourself, friend or foe, if I get involved with this, if I open myself up to this, it's going to help me or is it going to deter me? Is it going to undermine me? Are we okay? Are we all right? So... This, um, I'll just put my beer away in case somebody walks in right now. Maybe Super Bowl, you know. Anyway, <coughs> Scripture says, give no place to the devil. And in this training we're at over the last few days, um, we were looking at some of this stuff by Pastor Pablo Batari. He was part of the Argentinian revival. And in the 80s and 90s, there was a nation-changing revival that came to Argentina. God poured out his spirit in an amazing way. I mean, the population of Christians went from like 0.1%. There was Roman Catholicism, but the population of born-again Christians went from like 0.1% to 1% to like 10% within just a couple years and beyond that because just a move of what God was doing. And Carlos Anacondia was having these huge crusades. People were coming in, but because of occult activity and witchcraft and things going on in the culture... And when I was in Bolivia, it was the same thing. There was a combination of Catholicism, but lots of these other occultic beliefs where there was just suspicion and there was fear. And if one time I was drinking some juice with some other pastors sitting here and I just had a little bit in the bottom of a cup, had a little dirt in it. 
and I poured it out on the ground in Bolivia. He said, don't do that, man. Don't do that. So what's the matter? He says, well, they think you're giving a drink to Pachamama. It's this, this demonic god over the area. They think you just were, were giving her something to drink. These, these beliefs and these belief systems that keep people in fear. And so what happened is Pablo Batari, in the middle of this revival, he figured there's people coming to the altar and they're confessing Christ, but within just weeks, they're, they're, they're back out into the world. And so he began to do some work with deliverance ministry, calling people into tents and praying that these things would be broken off their life. And he identified doorways where people were stuck, where kept them from experience freedom in Christ. And one of those was fear, that sometimes these other belief systems put a lot of fear on you, put a lot of shame on you, put a lot of fear, distance you from God. And so he dealt with this spirit of fear, where scripture says, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. So that was one of them. Where there's hatred and revenge that was going on in families that sometimes lasted generations, they would break that. They dealt with sexual sin, where people had been promiscuous and broken God's law of sexuality, or where the occult and the witchcraft came in. And by praying for people and walking people in steps of freedom to break those things off, soon they saw it go from just a few percent that in a few weeks were still interested in spiritual things and serving God. They saw it go up to like 60 or 70 percent where these things had been broken off of God's people where they could experience freedom. And so I just want to take, uh, well, Charles Kraft said this, demons are like rats. They feed off the garbage in our lives. So strongholds and, and, and where the enemy can start getting hold of things or giving, getting place in our lives is often because of just the garbage that's there from stuff, from life, from past hurts, from offenses, sometimes from just things that have hurt and we still got a vengeful thing, we're still wanting to get revenge, we still want to get back at people, we allow that garbage to stay and when we do, there's just this, this affinity towards the enemy messing with us, the enemy messing with our mind and putting confusion on us and keeping shame on us. And so when we want to be free, we got to get rid of garbage, amen? Nothing for him to feed on. And so that's part of the process of just giving things back to God and turning things back over to God. Well, read this with me. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with those who call on the Lord but pure heart. So youthful lust was a big deal for me. I mean, I, I, just the, that whole party life down there in, in Southern California and be involved in relationships. And, and so lust was a driver. It was uh, one, that, one of the things would try and steal my freedom in Christ and mess with my confidence was lust and just sexual sin. And really, uh, in my late teens, and uh, I got saved at 21, and even after 21, as a new Christian, the enemy knows how to tempt and mess with you, and so getting control over the, just the sexual appetites in my life were a big deal. And the scripture gives us some insight here. It says flee. Say flee. There's three or four times in scripture in the New Testament where it tells you to flee, and usually it's around sexual sin. It tells you to take off, because it knows the grip. But I like this. It says, doesn't just say flee, but it says pursue. Say this, pursue. So it's telling you if you leave one thing, it's, it's hard just to flee that, but when you start pursuing God and pursuing other things, it makes fleeing a lot easier. When you start pursuing God in righteousness, in faith, and love, when you start pursuing those things, leaving lust is not a big deal. God's really, really good at replacing old with new. He replaced lust with love. He replaced the, those, the, the, the group of guys I hung out with and the gals I hung out with and the party people I hung out with. He started replacing some of the party girls and stuff with, with girls that I had respect for and, and could have just different relationships with. He, he began to change all that. And when I began to flee those things and pursue him, real, real change was happening in my life. A freedom started coming in my life. And I'm grateful for that. Amen? And then it says... Pursue them with what? With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's really tough to flee youthful lust, to break some of those things off, unless you're doing it with other people running the same direction as you, that, are, that want the same things. And so I had to make some choices over friends, friend or foe. Are, are we going the same direction for healthy life and for a whole life in Christ? Or am I going to still run with the same pack that's going to keep me going other directions? And so 
I, I began making choices back then to pursue God and to deal with people that wanted to grow in God. And it made all the difference in just strength and confidence before him and open doors and blessing and favor and, and just some few decisions, a few choices really turned things around. So let's talk about youthful lust. And this is what I hate doing and I don't want to do. And, and I, I'm probably do a message or maybe a couple messages just on this because to just open it up for a few minutes and then jump to something else is tough. But fleeing youthful lust. It's tempting for pastors, preachers just start to hammering on sexuality like pretty soon you feel like it's this taboo deal and oh, it's just dirty and, and, and you know, it's just this bio-fleshly thing. And that's not what God intended at all. He made sexuality. He designed it. He designed the feelings. He designed the body parts. He knows what it was made for. And, and when, it was, when it's done right and when we're in relationship and in love and it's part of a, a growing relationship, it's so awesome Proverbs 5, this is message Bible, says this. This is a hubba hubba. Your spring waters for you and you alone, not to be passed around among strangers. Bless your fresh flowering fountain. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore or dalliance with a promiscuous stranger? That kind of says it straight up, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty plain language. Not, that's in the Bible. That's not just prude talk. God says make some choices to stay in love and, and pick somebody right that you can stay in love with and, and that you can grow in love. And I'm so grateful for Jan. I, I'm grateful, 60 years old. We've been married 37 years now, 36 years. 36, 36, we're the same year. Thank you for that. She's not here. I'll get it right before next service. Anyway, we've been married, but the romance part's still good, and, and it's still awesome, and it's still an important, vital part of a relationship. That there's the, that loving connection and what, the, the gift of sex and the gift of intimacy, what an amazing thing from God. And when it's handled right, it just brings you close. And when it's handled right, it brings blessing and fun and encouragement. It does all kinds of good stuff for your body. And, and, and it, it's just protected. It's blessed. But the problem is the culture's just perverted the heck out of it and, and tweaked it and changed it and labeled it. And, and there's things that have happened around it. And so we're slimed by it in our culture and the nature of temptation and how that all works. You know and I have guys coming to me on a regular basis, young men that are bound and they're frustrated and, and they feel shame and all that because in just a few minutes, and not even a few minutes, in, in seconds, I could be in a virtual world that just kind of perverts it and paints a picture that God never painted for, for what I'm to pursue and what I'm to enjoy in my life. And so when Scripture says, flee youthful lust, I, I know and I don't, and if I give place to it, it, it tries to put me in bondage. It tries to bring shame on me. It tries to make, steal my confidence before God. What it does is it, 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 it takes me to a lower place where the enemy's power seems big and the enemy's power seems overwhelming, distracting, and, and God just doesn't seem to be big enough to help me or deliver me. I, I hate being in that place. I'd rather be in a place where my God is big, my God is huge, my God can do anything. If I trust him, the impossible is possible. I like being in that place of confidence where, you know, with God, I, I can climb mountains, conquer devils, whatever. I like that place of confidence. And what shame does, what shame does is put, put your eyes back on yourself, put your eyes back on your, your mistakes, put your eyes back on your failings, your shortcomings. That's what shame does. So now, all my eyes and my focus is on me and not on God. And that's not how we're supposed to live. Jesus wants us free to know him, to walk in him, to believe we're protected, to believe he's helping us to stay in that place. Are we okay this morning? And that we delight and we pick right. We delight in our spouse and we delight in, in, in grow in that relationship. You know, sometimes we're looking for grass is greener and I've heard it said grass is greener where you water it. And so in, in any relationship, if we nurture it and water it, it can be healthy. I believe it. There's ways to keep it healthy. Amen? When I think about strongholds and how this stuff affects people and where, you know, just sometimes curiosity can, can the steps, if you follow it through, James even talks about it. He says, first, we're enticed. 
and we get tempted, and then when we give place to it, it brings forth sin, and if you stay in it, sin brings forth death. It's like steps of bondage that happen when we don't put things in check. And so youthful lusts, just, you know, the lies of our culture are strong. Uh, you just flipping through the TV, you can see the, the nature of movies and shows and, and the storylines now are, are twisted where it's just totally about sexuality. And, and even those of us that have been around that block and whatever else, th- those relationships can be so shallow and not meaningful and not fruitful and not helpful. And the lies of the culture just push us towards sexuality. So fleeing youthful lust, you got to sort out what's of God, what's a friend, what's a foe. And, and you got to sort it out and build convictions around that. Youthful lust, when, when it becomes a stronghold, sometimes it's curiosity out of control. And just young children, you be around them, they're exploring things, their new feelings and all that. It's just part of growing up. But when that becomes obsessive and when that gets out of control, it becomes a stronghold and that stronghold can become bondage and God doesn't want you to live there. Amen? I've seen it before. I've seen it many times, probably more so with young women and sometimes with young men as just starving for affection. Things they didn't get at home and things they didn't get growing up and maybe never even been able to enter into a relationship where Father God becomes that real to you, and the compromise that can just come because of affection. And uh, I, I watched as youth pastor. I still remember a young gal in our church, and uh, she, grown up in a single mom's home, she had some challenges, and even physically and that, and here comes this young suave guy along, and his motivation was sex, and, and her motivation was just attention and friendship, and just wants what other young girls want as far as a prom date or something like that. And, and it didn't take very long. Broken heart, messed up, just frustrated because of just starving for affection and not being able to have that fulfilled in other places uh, that she just set herself up for that. And so the sins of the forefathers can do it. Sometimes it's, it's called iniquity. You find it in scripture. It's a bent towards those things. And because of promiscuous lifestyles in our uh, and the generation ahead of us, sometimes that gets passed on. And even what kids see modeled in their family, that, that, that sometimes can get in there. Now, for me, I, I've, I've prayed and broken that off my kids and uh, broken off future generations. That thing's not getting passed on. They're going to they're gonna walk with God. And now, you know, I see them married and the choices they've made. And I'm grateful for God being able to turn those things around, that those can be broken in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes youthful lust, when there's been a molestation or sexual sin, sometimes that triggers future behaviors that really need to be dealt with that could keep you in bondage where the Lord wants to free you those things, free you some of the thoughts and free you from the, 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 or the connection, the soul tie that happened because of those things. Sometimes our lack of self-control, we just, we just feed the habit, we, we feed that, and whatever you feed is going to get stronger. So you feed your spirit, your spirit's going to get stronger. You feed your flesh, your flesh is going to rule. So whatever you feed is going to increase in strength. And so that's why you need to feed your spirit. You need to feed your faith and uh, do it with other people that are going the same direction as you. Amen? And this is the one that grieves me is sometimes, and I've watched this, is people get into stuff because they've never really learned how to resist. And so especially you come from the high school home atmosphere and you into the college atmosphere, and, and you get around people that are persuasive and people that are, you know, pushing or trying to cause you to go in one direction. And you never, never really maybe had coaching on how you say no and how you resist and just how to keep boundaries up in your life so you don't be making mistakes that you, that you later regret. So I know it's been healthy as youth pastor, even doing some things with college group in, in your peer group to be covering each other's back, to be looking out for each other. For when you're going places where temptation's around, when you're invited to parties, that kind of stuff, that you got someone, a wingman or a wing person that's watching you. I, I had that in a friend of mine named Tom back in the day. And, and Tom Weigel was so instrumental in bringing me to the Lord, but he was a wingman for me. And I still remember him showing up to my work because I hadn't been around for a few weeks. And Tom showed up at my work and he, he just called me out. Where you been, Mike? And I made up some lie and, and he knew it right away. And he busted me on the lie, and, and he called me to higher things. He said, come on, man, God's got more for you than that. You, 
You, you, I've seen you. You don't want to go there. I see what happens when you go there. You don't want to go there. He, he's a wingman pushing me towards higher things. And that's why when we res- flee youthful lust, we need to do it along with other people that are pursuing God and heading in the same direction we want to go. Amen? Here's an ebook for anybody who wants the web address. Covenant Eyes is a ministry that helps people just break off, break free of pornography. And uh, Covenant Eyes just put out an ebook. I saw it advertised, and that's the website. So, covenanteyes.com, free ebook, it, it just some principles to help you, to help uh, strengthen your heart among those things if that's where your struggle is. And uh, hopefully, with that and some fellowship, there's, there'll be strength added because Jesus wants you free. Amen? Tell your neighbor, Jesus wants us free. Could you do that? See, see, this is what Jesus said here. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? It'll set you free. And they answered, and we're the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin becomes a slave to it. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So he wants us to not live lives of slaves, but to live lives as free sons and free daughters, partakers, joint heirs with him, enjoying all the benefits of heaven. He said the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Read 36 with me. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. High five your neighbor says free indeed. Tell him that this morning. Free indeed. That's where we're headed, free indeed. John, John's gospel, John 12, Jesus is talking about the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world. He's talking the prince of the power of the air, the demonic kingdom that still influences, and someday soon that's going to be cast out, destroyed, brought down forever and ever, and reestablished a new heaven and new earth. That's the promise we live with. But up until now, Jesus said there's an influencer, calls him the ruler of this world, in John's gospel, John 12, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And right in the context there, he's talking about going to the cross. To the cross, he's going to break the power of, of Satan. He's going to break the demonic authority of Satan. But then in John 14, he says this, I'm not going to talk with you much more for the ruler of this world is coming and read the yellow with me and he has nothing in me. And I love that thought. Here comes the enemy, and he comes to probe and to push and to tempt and to test, and Jesus says, he's got nothing in me. He's got no foothold. He's got no snare. He's got, he can't harass me, can't accuse me. He's got zero in me. I'm not prone to shame because I'm not playing his game. I'm not being enticed because I'm not listening to his temptation. I'm not being pushed around by him because I'm not in his realm. I'm in a higher realm. I'm walking a higher way. Jesus said he's coming and he's got nothing in me. And so when he told Peter, he said, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat. The same idea is that the enemy comes to find out what he's got in you, where the temptation is, where the hook is, what buttons he can push. And when Christ begins to produce freedom in us, the buttons begin to disappear. The hooks disappear. The triggers disappear. There's a wholeness that I just can't be messed with or pushed around because now I'm walking in in a mature way and Satan's got nothing in me. Now I know there's days, probably weeks, I could say that. He's, He's got nothing in me. But I live on a fallen planet in a corrupt flesh that still gets sideways sometimes. I know that never happens to you, but still my flesh rises up sometimes. Nobody in here does that, I know. But, but Jesus said this, he's got nothing in me and that's how I want to be. How about you? That's, that's where I want to head. And, and as we're wrapping up this morning, you know, th- there might be stuff. I mean, we were talking about it because sometimes when you talk about sin and, and it's not popular even to talk about sin in church anymore, and you talk about repentance, and you talk about confession, confessing your weaknesses, that's not popular talk much anymore. But I'm just so grateful growing up that there are several times. I just had an opportunity to come to the altar and just to get real with God. Talk to him about struggles and and stuff, and, and I just thank, you, thank God the freedom that produced when 
I was be able to just to be real before God and real with friends and, and, and give things to God and let him cleanse me and let him break things off of me. And, and that's just a pattern I've had to do really most of my life to keep growing. I want to keep growing. How about you? How about you, most of you? So when I, when I sense defeat or when I feel like I've been hooked or messed with, I guess the starting place is just being real with God, not religious, but just saying, God, what's up with this? What did I do to get in this mess? Have I opened the door somewhere? Have I just been lazy or sloppy? Or Sometimes you know right away, this, this is what I let myself get into. And just being real with them. The enemy traffics in darkness, and when you keep things in darkness, that's where his power is. That's where shame works. That's where... The, the control is there when we keep things in darkness. But when we bring them to the light and just, and just before the Lord confess things, he said he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. So you just got to be open. What, what's up? How did I get here? And then a willingness to repent. And that means to fake, forsake the issue and go in another direction. That means, Lord, I, I'm, I've weighed this. I've judged it. Friend or foe, it's a foe. Friend or foe, no, this has taken me backwards. This has taken me in a different direction. So Lord, I'm going to confess this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to break this and, and help me walk in a new direction. And that's when scripture says in James to submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. That word submit is just bring it to him. Just be real, bring it to God and, and say, Lord, here it is. I need your power. I need your help. I need to understand it. And I, and I don't want it in my life anymore. And then affirm and align yourself with the truth. I know it changes me when I say, God, this is what your promise is, and this is what you say. This is my identity in you, and so that's what I want, and this is what I believe. I might feel this right now, but I can't trust my feelings because my feelings can change 10 times watching a movie. I can't just trust my feelings, but I have to trust your truth that this is what you want for me, so I affirm this truth, and Lord, I align myself with it, and I ask you to work that truth in me, and work that freedom in me, and work that, that new understanding in me. And that's what I begin to confess towards and believe, and I affirm and align myself with this. And, and this is the hard part, because some of us have tried to change, and we say, I'm going to quit this, I'm going to quit this, and then we find ourselves doing it again, and we're frustrated. And so we get to a place sometimes where we never want to say, I'm never going to do this again, because when we do, we mess up again. But I'm going to encourage you to still keep doing it, still keep saying it. As best as I'm able, I'm not going to do this again. I'm just going to resist. I'm going to keep pushing against this thing till it falls, till it crumbles, till heaven moves and breaks this thing off me. But I'm, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep praying and believing in the same direction that God's going to be able to change this. And I could go through a half dozen things in my life that doing that consistently, it breaks off and you walk in new levels of freedom and new levels of joy and new levels of peace. You just keep growing in the right direction when you exercise those things because God wants us free. Amen? Do you believe that?